Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. In the Czech Republic, there is a city called Chesky Krumlov. Chesky Krumlov. And in that city, there is a beautiful old castle. It was built back in the 1200s by a group of people called the Lords Krumlov. They were wealthy and had lots of friends, but also lots of enemies. And so when they were looking for a place to live, where should they build their castle? They were looking for a few things. Uh, They were looking for beauty. They wanted to live in a nice place. They were looking for an area that had enough space for a castle. But they were also looking for protection from those enemies. And they found it in this location in Chesky Krumlov. First of all, there were natural protections. They built their castle right along the Vltava River. The Vltava River provided protection because if you were an enemy of one of these lords and you wanted to get into the castle, you would have to cross the river, you would have to then climb the castle wall, and in all that time, they figured one of their guards could get you. So they built it along the river. They wanted a little more protection though, so they built a moat, a dry moat. It's just basically a big ditch that if you were able to make it through the river and up the castle gate, you would able, you'd have to go down into this moat, you'd have to crawl through the moat, then you'd have to climb up another wall, and they figured if you were able to get through the river and up one wall and through the moat, well, by that point, they could get you. Uh, however, several years later, in fact, just a few hundred years ago, they decided that the river and the moat weren't good enough, and so they added bears to the moat. <laughs> and you can still go there today and see those bears. Just don't climb in the moat. It's not a good idea. Uh, there were lots of ways for you to try to get in to see one of the lords of Krumlov. You could try the river, you could climb the wall, you could go in the bear moat if you wanted to. Or, as an invited guest, you could go through the gate. That gate still stands today. Lots of tourists show up for selfies outside the gate. It's a World Heritage Site. If you wanted to see one of the lords of Krumlov, it was best to go through the gate. If you wanted to see the Lord, go through the gate. Now, in Jesus' day, he was having all kinds of problems with religious leaders called the Pharisees. He saw that these leaders were burdening God's people, burdening them with rules that God didn't say, burdening them with things that were not in the Old Testament. They were giving them all kinds of rules on how to live and how to eat and what to wear and how to work and how to worship. Jesus saw the burdens that these Pharisees were placing on God's people, and he was angry about it. He wanted to change it. He wanted to put an end to it. He wanted all of these people to follow him instead of following these Pharisees. But he knew after years and years of following them, he would have to really show them that he deserved to be followed, that he had the authority to be followed. He wouldn't be able to just walk in and say, hey, forget these guys, follow me. Instead, he would have to show them that he was worthy to be followed. And he did this in some pretty dramatic ways recorded in the Gospel of John in the Bible. He had seven I am statements that he declared to the people around him. Now, this was so controversial because for someone to say I am was to claim to be God. 
in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus chapter 3, a man named Moses is having a conversation with God, and he is talking with God about some teaching that God wants him to deliver to the people. And Moses says to God, if they ask me who is saying this, who sent me, who should I say sent me, what is your name? And God says, I am who I am. You tell them, I am sent me to you. And from that point forward, anyone who was declaring, I am, was saying that they were God. So as Jesus is doing this, as he goes around the community giving these I am statements, the Pharisees are getting angrier and angrier because they see that Jesus is claiming to be God. They see that it is blasphemy. But Jesus keeps it up. Again, there are seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. We're studying them here at Christ Community Church in this message series leading up to Easter, this message series called The Great I Am. Pastor Jim has already talked about a couple of them. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And today we are going to study Jesus saying, I am the gate of the sheep. I am the gate. What does Jesus mean when he says, I am the gate? Now, before we get into that statement in John chapter 10, uh, we need to touch on John chapter 9 in order to understand the background for this statement of Jesus. And Pastor Jim did this a little bit last week. In John chapter 9, we have a story of a man who is born blind. He's never seen anything from the time he was born. Never saw a sunrise or a sunset. Never saw the Sea of Galilee. Never saw his parents' faces. There's even a point where he is standing right across from Jesus. He's standing face to face with Jesus, and he can't see the face of God himself. Jesus does something amazing. He, He scoops some mud off of the ground and puts it on the man's eyes and tells him to go wash his face. And when the man does this, he is completely healed. He goes from never being able to see anything to seeing the whole world in full living color. He is dramatically healed. So he's pretty excited about it, as you can imagine. And he goes around telling anyone who would listen, I was blind, but now I see. I was blind from birth, but now I'm healed. That man, he healed me. I can see now. And there was some whispering about Jesus going on whispering that maybe Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior, that maybe that's why this man was healed. Israelites, Jews in the first century and for many years before that, uh, they'd been waiting for a Savior that was promised in the Old Testament. They called him the Messiah. They'd been waiting for someone who would come in and rescue them, and they thought that this person was going to rescue them from the Roman oppression of their day. The Romans were in charge of Israel, and they were harsh. And so God's people were waiting for this Savior to come to rescue them from the Romans. They didn't know that that's not at all what Jesus was about. But they started whispering, maybe he's the Messiah, maybe he's the Savior, and it enraged the Pharisees. And so they brought the blind man in. They gave him the third degree, throwing all sorts of questions at him. Who healed you? How did he heal you? And then they had the audacity to ask, are you sure you were really blind? As though there was some doubt, like maybe he was confused or something. 
They called his parents in and asked them, uh, was this guy really blind from birth? Is he really unable to see? And his parents didn't answer the question because they were scared to death because these Pharisees, these religious leaders, had said anyone who says Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, anyone who even hints at that is going to be barred from the synagogue. You are not going to be able to come in and worship God. And so they got quiet. They said, he's a grown man. He's of age. You ask him what happened to him. They would not even talk about it. This idea of being barred from the synagogue was so important in the lives of these people because it was the way that they worshiped God. That was the way they had access to God. Now, we as Christians have the Holy Spirit, God himself living inside of us. We can talk to him whenever we want. We can get his wisdom and his comfort whenever we want. But in Jesus' day, followers of God had to go to the synagogue. They had to hear God's word from a rabbi or a Pharisee, that's how they connected with God. That was as personal as it got. And so if they were told, you can't come into the synagogue, you can't worship with your people, their entire connection with God was broken off. They didn't have Bibles like we do to open and read and study on their own. They couldn't just pull out a smartphone and read God's word whenever they wanted. They had to come to the synagogue, they had to listen to God's word being taught to them. So to say you can't come in here would have completely broken their life with God. And so his parents got quiet. They continued, these Pharisees, asking this blind man, are you sure? What did he really do? How did it happen? And the blind man just gets incensed and goes, I've told you what he's done. You know what he's done. And he starts arguing back. And eventually the Pharisees do kick him out of the synagogue. They say, you're out of here. Jesus sees this going on and he's getting angrier and angrier at the injustice and he decides he has to teach these Pharisees a lesson because these leaders think they are the gate that separates people from God. They think they're the gate that provides access to God. If you want to get to God, you have to go through us. And Jesus knows that that is not true at all, and he wants everyone to know it. And that's what leads us to John chapter 10. Go ahead and turn there. John chapter 10. We're going to begin in verse 1 of John chapter 10. And whether you have a hard copy or you have it on your phone, go ahead, take it out, and you can read along as we dig into John chapter 10 beginning in verse 1. Uh, Jesus is going to share a parable, a little story with these Pharisees, a story that is designed to teach them some truth. It's designed to get them on the right path. Jesus is trying to show them how wrong they are. And so he begins with this parable in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Here's what it says. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice." But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. 
Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. And let's pause there for a moment. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, thank you, God, for your precious word. Jesus begins with some imagery that would have been very common in his day. Everyone would have understood it. He begins talking about a sheep pen. In his day, there were professional sheep pen operators. Uh, There were shepherds who were in town, but there were also shepherds who were traveling through. And at night, they needed a place to put their sheep so that they would be secure. So these sheep pen operators would build a sturdy pen that anyone could store their sheep in. Uh, We have a picture here of an ancient sheep pen. Uh, You can see how it's built into a cave. So if it was raining, the sheep could go there for protection. There were also stone walls that were put up all around it. The sheep pen operator would have put thorny bushes all around it so that it would be really difficult for anyone to crawl in or for any wolves to get in there. You may also notice that there is only one narrow way in and out, one narrow gate in and out. Uh, This is the imagery that Jesus uses to tell his parable to these Pharisees to try to convict them to get them back on the right path. He uses this imagery of a sheep pen and a shepherd and also some thieves and robbers. The two groups that we'll spend a little time on this morning, the shepherd and the thieves and the robbers, we'll spend just a few moments on the shepherd because next week, Pastor Jim is going to talk about Jesus' statement, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. So Pastor Jim next week will give you lots more on that. But Jesus talks about something that's so beautiful that I I do want us to, to really celebrate it this morning. Jesus talks about how the sheep know the shepherd's voice and he calls out to them and they come. He paints a picture of our relationship with God in which we know the voice of our shepherd. We hear it in prayer. We hear it when we read the Bible. We sense its wisdom, its encouragement, its comfort. We know who our shepherd is and we follow him. Uh, Even today, there are professional shepherds in places all around the world and I've seen wonderful videos uh, where shepherds are calling out in an empty field. They call out to their sheep and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, all these sheep come running in. They know their shepherd's voice. The shepherd would walk up to the sheep pen and and he, he would just begin calling out, hey sheep, hey it's me, come on, it's time to go. And one by one, his sheep would come through that gate and all the others would stick around. The sheep know their shepherd's voice and they ignore the other voices. It's a picture of our relationship with Jesus. We know who our shepherd is. We recognize him and we listen to him and he calls out to us and guides us. It's really beautiful. Again, Pastor Jim will have much more on Jesus as the good shepherd next week. Jesus also, though, gives a warning to the Pharisees about thieves and robbers. He kind of goes at these guys, though they don't necessarily know it. He says in verse 1, Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. He's saying, unless you show up as the shepherd, as the person who cares for the sheep and has their best interests in mind, unless you show up and the sheep belong to you, you are a thief and a robber. You are someone who is out to harm the sheep. In the case of the Pharisees, 
They were burdening them with rules that God didn't command. They were trying to get them to conform to whatever image those religious leaders wanted them to have. And they were doing it for their own power and the ability to make money off of them. They were really abusing people in this way. And so Jesus refers to them as thieves and robbers, like the people who would try climbing over the wall in order to snatch one of the sheep. They're thieves and robbers, but even as Jesus explains this story to them, they don't get it. They hear it, they're confused, they don't understand. And so Jesus gets more specific. He, he goes right at them. Turn to John chapter 10, verse 7, as Jesus now moves a little beyond the parable and the story that they didn't get, and he gives them some details. It says in verse 7, Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Pause there. Uh, now he just says straight up, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate. Those Pharisees, those religious leaders, they think that they're the gate. They think that they're the ones who either allow people to God or refuse them entrance. But they have it all wrong. I, Jesus, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the one that they are supposed to follow. He says this, it's controversial, it is maddening to the religious leaders, it is confusing to the people who are hearing it, but he is claiming to be God, and he's letting them know that if you want access to God the Father, if you want relationship, if you want connection with God, you need to go through Jesus. Now, a few points about this out of the text, and this is on your outline. If you have an outline that you got when you came in here, or if you have one on the uh, Christ Community Church app, take it out, uh, because there are two specific claims that Jesus makes about being the gate and what that means for each of us. Jesus says he's the gate, and if Jesus is the gate, then he is the one through whom we can be saved. Jesus is the gate through whom we can be saved. Now, when Jesus talks about being saved, he means sinners who are saved from their sins. He means people who are in rebellion against God, who are disconnected from him, people who need to be brought into relationship with God. And the only way to do it is by going through the gate, the gate, Jesus Christ. Now, that is very controversial. It was in Jesus' day. It's controversial in our day. It always has been. It is controversial when we say that people are sinners who need a savior. We tend to want to think better of ourselves. I, I know I do. I, I don't like thinking of myself as a sinner who needs a savior. But the fact that I don't like it and the fact that I don't want to think about it doesn't change the truth of it. We are all sinners who need to be saved. And Jesus says, I am the gate through whom people can be saved. If you want to connect with God, if you want to be forgiven of your sins, if you want to be in relationship with him, the only way to do it is to go through Jesus. 
The only way to do it is to acknowledge I'm a sinner who needs a savior and Jesus praise him. He is that savior. He is the gate I can go through to have true relationship with God. Jesus is the gate through whom we can be saved. Being a sinner is bad news. Having a savior is the best news ever. Jesus is the gate through whom we can be saved. But Jesus also says that he is the gate through whom we can have real life. Jesus is the gate through whom we can have real life. There are a lot of people who are living. I mean, they're just living. They're sort of going through the motions. Uh, They wake up. They have breakfast. They go to work or school. Uh, They have lunch. They finish work or school. They come home. They have dinner. They binge on some Netflix for a few hours. And then they go to bed and they start the whole thing all over again. I mean, they're, they're breathing, they're eating, they're sleeping. I mean, yeah, they're alive, but they don't have real life. Jesus describes the real life that he offers to people as the gate. In verse 10, he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Here's what Jesus is talking about. The Bible tells us that God made each of us uniquely. The Bible tells us that God made each of us special, that he put his imprint on each of us. The Bible tells us that God has distinct purposes for each of us. And so as long as we're just going through the motions of life separated from God, we're not enjoying real life because we're not living connected to God, and that's what he made us for. Every single one of us was made for relationship with God, for him to be at work in us, growing us, molding us, and using us for his purposes. Each of us was made to praise God and worship God, connecting with a church family so that together we can glorify God. If we're not doing that, if all we're doing is going through the motions of the everyday, then we're not experiencing real life as Jesus offers it. Jesus is the gate through whom we can be saved. Jesus is the gate through whom we can have real life. And and with those positive statements, there are also some negative statements that come out of this passage. Because if Jesus is the exclusive gate if he's the only one we can go through to have connection with God, that means there are a lot of false gates out there. There are a lot of people and institutions and ideas that people connect with thinking that they are the gate to God, but they are not. Jesus is the gate. Here's one of them. Jesus is the gate, and that means your pastors aren't. Now, I didn't talk to Pastor Jim or Clayton or any of the other pastors before I came here. I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to trust, because I know those guys, that they agree with me on this. Jesus is the gate. Your pastors are not the gate. In Jesus' day, the religious leaders felt as though they were the gates. If you wanted to go to God, you had to go through them. If you didn't go through them, you had no access to God. And so people began to rely on those religious leaders as the only way for them to get to God. And in our day, it's really easy to really enjoy a pastor's teaching or to have been cared for well by a pastor and to start to see them as the way we get to God, as the connection to God. And 
If Jesus is the gate, that means there can't be any other gate. That means pastors have a responsibility to help us grow in our walk with God, to understand him better, to teach us the Bible, to help us study the Bible for ourselves. They're to pray for us, give us wisdom and advice, to help us when we're hurting. Pastors have a huge role to play as shepherds over God's flock. Pastors are very important, but they're not the gate. Pastors are not our connection to God in that we don't have to go through pastors in order to get to God. Jesus is the gate. He is the only gate. The job of the pastor is to point each of us to God, to Jesus, as the only gate that we can rely on. Jesus is the gate. That means your pastors aren't. Uh, Jesus is the gate. That means false teachers aren't. Jesus is the gate, false teachers aren't. These Pharisees were basically acting as false teachers. They were placing these rules on the people, telling them what they could and couldn't do. It didn't come from the Bible, it was just their own teaching, and so they were making life really, really hard for these people by giving them false teaching. In our day, there are lots of false teachers as well, and they attract really big crowds because some of the things they say are very attractive. Uh, they will say, for example, that in the end, everyone goes to heaven to be with Jesus. In the end, everyone is going to be saved. Uh, now, that's an attractive idea, and so people like it, but that's totally different than what Jesus said. Jesus said he's the gate, and you have to go through him and him alone if you are going to have eternal life with God. There is none other. There are teachers who will tell you, if you just have enough faith and if you just give enough money to the church, you're going to be unbelievably wealthy. You're going to have more money than you can possibly imagine. Just have faith. That's not biblical. It's not true. It's damaging and hurtful to people. It makes people who don't have a lot of money think that somehow their faith or lack of faith is responsible and it burdens people who are wealthy because it starts to make them think that their faith had something to do with it. I'm the reason that I have all of this wealth. I have had faith that's strong enough, and that's why. And, and I've tithed a lot. I've given a lot of money to the church, so that's why I have this. Now, some people are going to be wealthy, and some people aren't. Uh, some people are going to have a, a, a nicer house than others. I mean, that's life in the world. But it is false teaching to say that what you have is a direct result of the amount of faith that you have. And it's absolutely devastating to people. There, there's others who will just give you some self-help and tell you you can do it. There are false teachers. They sell a lot of books just telling you, try hard, have a positive attitude, be kind, and, and everything's just going to go your way. You're going to have everything that your heart desires. It's just not biblical. Jesus is the gate. His teaching is the teaching we're supposed to pay attention to. If it's in the Bible, we pay attention to it. And if it's not, we say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus is the gate. Pastors aren't. False teachers aren't. Jesus is the gate. Other religions are not. Again, all this controversial and touchy, it always has been. Jesus is the gate. Other religions aren't. 
I recently had a discussion with a, a really good friend of mine uh, about religions in general. He knows I'm a pastor. He's known me for many years. Uh, and we talked about a lot of other faiths, and he made the claim that all religions are just different paths to the same God. All religions are different because people are different, and just like people drive different routes to get to the same place, different religions are just different paths to the same God. And I showed him how that's completely against what the Bible says. I showed him how that can't be true because Jesus says, he and he alone is the gate, that there are no other gates. But he was not convinced that other religions, while we respect people's rights to worship how they want, we would never force anyone into Christianity or, or tell people that they can't go to whatever their house of worship is. No, no, we want them to have that freedom. But that's not the same as saying all religions are equally true. That's not the same as saying all religions are just different paths to get to God. Jesus is controversial in his day and today because he is exclusive. Because Jesus says it is my way or no way. Jesus invites us to come to God through him. It's a beautiful invitation. But Jesus says either you come through this gate, that is Jesus, or there is no gate at all. Jesus says, I am the gate. That means nothing or no one else is the gate, including other religions. Jesus is the gate. That also means your religion is not the gate. Jesus is the gate. That means your religion is not the gate. Here's how this sometimes works. You are raised in a church. You are used to the way that church does things. Uh, maybe you start in kids world and you grow up and you work your way into a, a community group as an adult and you worship here on Sunday and maybe you serve on one of the teams. Uh, you study the Bible, you pray, and, and you rely on those aspects of religion to be your gate to God. Now, all those things help us connect with God once we're Christians. Don't get me wrong. All those things are vital in our lives if we want to grow in our walk with Jesus. But it's really easy for us start to believe, to believe that what we have done in church is the reason that we are in relationship with Jesus, that that is why we are connected to God. And it's really easy for us to avoid actually saying those words, I am a sinner who needs a savior and Jesus is my savior. Instead of relying on Jesus as the gate that connects us to God, we say, oh yeah, well, I went to church when I was a kid. Yeah, I, I grew up, I, I went through some of the motions of religion, so yeah, I'm, I'm all right, I, I, I have a connection. I remember one guy who is now a follower of Jesus, but who wasn't at the time, uh, he grew up kind of going to church with his parents, and, and at one point he and I were talking about Jesus, and he said, oh man, you know, I got God, I'm okay, and I was like, like you got milk? Like, what do, what do you mean, you know? And, and now he does get it, and he does got God, and he's passionate about Jesus and just living for him. He thought that the motions of his parents' religion were what saved him. He didn't understand that Jesus saved him. Uh, there are lots of false gates out there. Uh, there are a lot of ways that people think they have connection with God uh, that they don't. There are a lot of thieves and robbers out there who come in the wrong way to harm the sheep. I remember growing up in Aurora, this vivid story as a kid. We came home from a night out, and we pulled up outside my house. 
and I heard my mom scream, and I'd never heard her scream like this. It wasn't an angry scream. It was a scream of fear. She yelled out and grabbed my dad's arm, and she said, Victor, there's someone in the house. And we all turned, and we looked at our front door, and we saw these eyes looking back at us through the window in our door. And as soon as those eyes saw our eyes, they disappeared. Those were the days before cell phones, so we couldn't call the cops. We had to drive to my great-grandparents' house to do that. And the police came and checked out our house, and the bad guys were gone, and we walked in, and it was a mess. All of our drawers were open and overturned. They'd ransacked everything. The police told us that these thieves had come in through a side window. These thieves had broken in off of an alley and come through a window. That's how they left when they saw us through the front door. The thieves didn't come through the front door. The thieves didn't come in with friendly motives. These burglars came in through the side. Jesus is warning his people about the thieves and robbers who try to claim that they are the connection to God, but they aren't. In Jesus' day, there were people who claimed to be the Messiah, the Savior, people who claimed to be the one that God had promised, and they tried luring people away as well. Jesus says, no, they are false. They are not the gate. They are not the Savior. They're not the Messiah. I am. Jesus says, I am the gate of the sheep. Now, I mentioned this is controversial. Jesus being exclusive is controversial. But it should cause us to rejoice, brothers and sisters. It should cause us to rejoice because, yes, Jesus is exclusive. Jesus is the only gate. If you want to be forgiven, if you want to have a relationship with God, if you want to be promised eternal life with him, then you need to go through the gate that is Jesus. He's exclusive, but he's also not exclusive. Now, let me explain that because it sounds like I'm contradicting myself. Jesus is not exclusive because every single one of us who approaches the gate in humility, acknowledging we're sinners who need a Savior, every single one of us gets allowed in. Jesus doesn't look at us and say, oh, okay, yeah, you can get in, and, and, and you can get in, and well, I'll just barely allow this dude in. But you can't, and you can't, and you can't. Jesus is not exclusive in that way. If you come to him acknowledging your need for him, he lets you in. He invites you in. He, he wants you to be with him. He wanted you to be with him so much that he died for you and for me. That should cause us to rejoice instead of being down about Jesus as the only gate and, and thinking about how narrow it is. We should praise God that he loves us enough to send his son Jesus to die so that we can be in relationship with him, so that we can go through the gate and enjoy God forever and to serve him faithfully here on the earth. This is the greatest news ever. You can celebrate that. Now, many years ago, if you wanted to get in to see one of the lords of Krumloff, uh, you could try going over the river or the wall. You could try the bear mode if you wanted to. Or you could be invited. You could go through the gate. If you wanted to see the Lord, you could and should go through the gate. And it's the same way with God. It's the same way 
for each and every one of us, if you want to see the Lord go through the gate, and that gate is Jesus Christ. Let's pray together, sisters and brothers. Our Father in heaven, we begin by acknowledging our need for you. Every single one of us needs you. We feel the weight of that, and at times we can wonder if there is anything that we can do, and the answer is only one thing. We can go through the gate that is Jesus Christ. We can acknowledge our need for you, acknowledge there's nothing we can do to save ourselves, and rejoice at the good news of your salvation. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for living and dying and rising again. Thank you for the promise of eternal life with you. Thank you for being the gate that allows us to have access to God forever and ever. Thank you for your teaching in the Bible that helps us to know the right way. We love you, God, and we thank you so much for loving each and every one of us. And it's in Jesus' strong, saving name that we pray, amen.